1: All right. Happy Tuesday, you guys, uh, and Merry belated Christmas <laughs> for anyone yes. joining us uh, live. And uh, soon and happy New Year. Happy, happy belated Hanukkah as well.
2: Um, today, welcome again, everyone. Today we are going to be speaking with the founder and CEO of Invest on Main Street, Patrick Rhimes. Welcome, Patrick. It's very nice to have you here.
3: Glad to be here as well. Thank you so much.
2: And you have quite a lot of experience and a little bit of everything in real estate investing. So anybody who has questions, post them in the chat. We will definitely get to your questions. This is a very casual format. So Keeping it raw. So, so, let's uh, go ahead, Brian.
1: Well, Patrick, you know, welcome again. And uh, I always like to start uh, when we have guests on the show to ask them just how they got started in real estate, you know, the, the high, the 30,000 foot overview of, you know, what got you into real estate? And uh, and then,
3: you know, we can talk a little bit about uh, what has changed and evolved
1: for you over the years.
3: Sure. Well, so I, I definitely wasn't born into it. <laughs> My <laughs> I, I started um, Geek early on. I did mechanical engineering. Uh, I, I right. got a job at a machine design automation firm. We did custom uh, equipment for manufacturing automation, made a lot of really cool stuff, one-of-a-kind custom machinery and, and robotic systems. And uh, um, my the owner of the company I was working for, who still invests with me today, and I actually bring him up in my book <laughs> and pick on him <laughs> a little bit here and there, we're so good pals. And he, he suggested that I uh, should consider investing in real estate as much as I can and as soon as I can. And he never regretted his real estate investments, and only that he didn't do enough. Um, and so I, I saved up. He's like, well, while well, this engineering is cognitively rewarding and fun, it's volatile and risky, and especially the high tech space. Where and then you should put your eggs in some other baskets. And so I did. And I saved up every penny I had, dumped it into some high returning, which what I later learned were higher risk investments. Lost it all through 2008, nine to ten, <laughs> it just raked me over the coals. Um, Circle those.
1: Back. Were those direct property investments Were you buying rental properties or did you invest in like syndications or, or you know, what were you investing in?
3: Uh, residential pre-development. So okay. a little more. Oh so, yeah, yeah, that is
1: high risk. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I wanted to double my money every two to three years. So, you know, I didn't realize at the time what a recourse loan meant and signing on the loans and how then they can come after you and you, you're kind of cross collateralizing everything through those investments. So uh, they raked me over the coals and banks came after me and did debt forgiveness, <laughs> had to pay taxes on that. But you know, it was that early on learning experience. Um, certainly I dove back into my high tech career, got a master's in engineering and business. But when I started making substantial income again, I realized I was like, well, I got to get back into this. I can't work until I die. I've got to come up with passive income and appreciation. And, uh, let me do real estate, but completely differently this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what led me to much lower risk investments, recession, resilient markets, existing buildings, not land <laughs> with nothing on it and cash flow and Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all that stuff.
1: So post Great Recession, uh, what was your your first uh, real estate investment You know, when you went back into it, you know, in round two?
3: hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of the data that I looked at back then, I still look at today. I was looking at for recession-resilient markets, locations where we had seen in p- prior recessions them be very resilient, either sustain their value or rebound quickly. So not the Phoenixes and uh, Tucson's, Las Vegas's, or Orlando's, but more the Sun Belt like the Houston's, for example, where it just rose steady growth, and then eight, nine, and ten leveled off, and then started going up again. Whereas the other markets, like right, in the rest of the country did a six to twelve-year swing just to break even, right? And a lot of the investments. So I, I look for specific markets that I'm um, being a little bit of an analyst myself. I have a bunch of different factors go into it, but I'm looking for specific markets that uh, have built an in insulation through diversified employment. In recession resilient industries, and assets within those markets that tend to fare fairly well in the recession. So, right now, it's it was to your to your question, Brian, single family, three bedroom, two bath, uh, and building a portfolio, buying distress, but renovating quickly to cash flow with known comparables in a proven market. Uh, and now it's traded up to large two to three hundred. 20 to 50 year old multi-family apartment buildings which are in recession resilient markets workforce housing where people tend to move into these housing options in recessions because they're a lower cost option. So that's that's how that progressed. Well, I love
1: that and we we did we we went uh from 0 to 60 very quickly there. So I want to rewind for just a moment. You said you you Got back into real estate investing by investing in single-family rental properties mm-hmm. uh, and you know renovating them. How did you make that transition from buying single-family rentals to buying uh, apartment complexes? Because that's a that's a big gap mm-hmm. to leap for a lot of investors.
3: Mm-hmm. I got married. I Married rich, huh? That destroyed my single-family. Because I was I was working hard. I've always been a hard one. I was working full time, getting two master's degrees. I was working full time flipping or to myself, buying and holding and renovating single family homes. But out of state, you know, I'm not a Southern Californian. I was doing this in markets far away. It's a lot of work. And I was uh, um, moonlighting it essentially, right? And it made me impossible to date for a while. I was trading <laughs> a lot of my family, friends and hobbies, valuable time for my investment portfolio, because I was working in an extremely demanding high income earning job. And then I was doing an extremely demanding buying, finding, renovating, refining, holding, buying, finding distressed investments, which was working, but it was exhausting. And when I met my wife, I I was there, she was there sitting with me at the coffee shop for the very last closing. And, you know, and I was like, this is it, we're it's over, we're getting married. So I'm not gonna do this for a while. It took about two and a half years, we got married. And then and then I said, on the other side of this, I'm gonna. Go at this a very different way i'm going to do a financial institution private equity firm i'm going to partner up and we're going to do even lower risk assets and better markets but with partners that have decades experience and we're going to trade up 1031 exchanges and then started syndicating uh that took about two and a half years to for me the analysis paralysis and me the engineer to get enough Stuff in my head here, but <laughs> pushed all the hair out of the top <laughs> in order to uh feel like I had a handle on the multifamily and I'm still learning a lot by working with people that are smarter and more experienced than me but and how did you
2: go about looking for for that? I mean, if because you said that you really i mean you read and and whatnot, but did you seek out people to mentor you and and that kind of
3: yeah. Yeah, so I, I I downloaded all kinds of uh, books, webinars, attended conferences, started meeting people and networking, started learning how to analyze deals with Excel spreadsheets. Call it underwriting. And we started attending uh, online uh, meetup groups like Slack and and my local RIA's that where people would review each other's analysis. And then I started meeting bigger players. And I said, Hey, this is a. I started meeting brokers and getting on broker lists and getting deals and. Uh, learning how to analyze them. And I started presenting those when I got better at them to different people who have had a lot of experience in this asset class. i like, hey, I know how it works in single family, but this is a completely different ballgame mm-hmm. in large multifamily. And then I would get feedback like, Hey, here's all the reasons this sucks. Right. And here, wait, but by the way, this one's good, but not good enough. And a lot of that happened for a while. And I met, traveled around, looked at a lot of deals and walked away with my tail between my legs, brought a lot of, until finally a partner said, yeah, let's work on one together and, you know, let's, let's make it happen. I think it was just a lot of, my book's called Persistence, Pivots and Game Changers. I think it was a lot of persistence, (laughs) you know, and finding where, what, what value they were looking for and kind of matching that with my skill set.
2: I love that. I'm I just love pers- my father always told me persistence overcomes resistance and so many people give up so easy. And I think I learned more with some of the mistakes I made early on than, Definitely. you know, yeah, so anyway.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree 100%. Yeah, I'm I'm a product of making mistakes, right? I did my analysis paralysis, but even then I I stumbled quite a few times but Now I've found a path where I think it's low risk for myself, uh, both in real estate and in our diversified energy funds, which we have to help people diversify and de-risk their portfolio outside of real estate into another essential need, housing and energy, right?
2: Awesome.
1: So you became a co-sponsor. So you you partnered with existing uh, real estate syndication sponsors Mm -hmm. and became a co-sponsor on these deals to, uh, to what, or on the raising money side of things, or also on the finding deals, managing deals uh, on that side of things as well. Uh, so, h- how how did you go about that that transition, becoming a co-sponsor of real estate syndications? And by the way, uh, for the audience, we'll add a link to uh, an explanation of exactly what real estate syndications are if you're not familiar with that term.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um when I started trying to buy properties myself, I knew I didn't have all the in, all the money that I needed to buy these large assets. So I went from three bedroom, two bath, all the way to 86 units. And my calculus was it had to be above 80 um, because by the time there was nothing between that, the, the longest, uh, most stable assets for appreciating is appreciation is three bedroom, two bath. Everything in between that is mucky in my world because You're you're not commercial until you get above five, but then you can't get good debt until you get above 20 or 30. And then you can get non-recourse debt, but then you can't get on-site property management, which is part of the hair pulling that went on early on until you get to 80. In most markets, you can get economy of scale. You can get non-recourse debt. The assets produce enough income. They're low risk. You can get on-site property management, leasing and maintenance. So they're calling you. You're not having to chase somebody all the time. And at that point, you can then force appreciation through renovations at scale. And everything begins to pan out again to, to a metric, which I felt was like that leap. I said, well, if I'm gonna do single family, I'm gonna stick to this path, nothing made sense. So in order to get to this higher asset class to play ball in the right way, I had to work with people, people that first of all, had decades of experience. And so I traveled around uh, to these markets that I decided were the ones I wanted to invest in because they had all of the check boxes of recession, resilience, cash flow, landlord friendly, and all this. I said, I'm going to set a business. I'm going to set a business in the right place. I met people that had been operating and working in those, those locations where I felt like, hey, this is the right. A lot of other companies are moving to these locations I'm investing in too. So I'm not the, I'm not the only one that understands legislative friendly business, you know, cities, but but so I started meeting them, and I started uh, talking to the brokers, getting deals, underwriting deals and bringing deals to these people. So my, I got into the business as a deal finder and an analyst, like that's really where my strength was. Right. And when I, when I, that's uh, funny because how it played out was on my very first deal. Uh, uh, the guy, what, the guy that I was talking to and I was like, and, and this was like, i kind of had semi partners with six people where we had tried to make things happen. And then for one reason, the risk profile, I'm very risk averse versus theirs or very much were aggressive or, you know, whatever, whatever reason uh, those, those didn't play out. And all of a sudden one of them goes, Hey, look, this 86 unit deal is a great deal, but uh, I'm too busy. I've got this hundred unit deal, this 200 to 300 unit deal. Um, and I don't have time. Turns out, He didn't need deals he didn't need capital he just needed somebody he could trust he needed his nights and weekends back and and after showing up as a hard worker for so long and really getting nothing and i didn't even ask him like hey what am i going to get in terms of partnership percentage for bringing this to you in fact not until after we closed the second property did we ever establish my position in the partnership so i just came bringing value and I let him, I said, suggested, here's what, but he, I let him draw me into what he needs. What he really needed is to be able to sit down with somebody over a 15, 20 minute zoom, hit record, tell me everything that needed done and how it to be done. And then me just come back and get it all done present it all to, and then do it again and again. And then <laughs> after the first deal happened and I had, had done, he, he was like, well, we got another one. Can you help? I was—we were living in Hawaii at the time—and I, I red-eyed out overnight, landed right, and uh, did the due diligence, walked the units, and it's a lot of nitty-gritty, and, and it's a lot of work. And meanwhile, I was still juggling my high-tech career, um, so was, I was—I was moonlighting it again, but with the end in mind, right? Something that would scale. Um, and then the third deal actually happened in parallel with the second deal. So it was about adding, figuring out what is needed by the partners, showing up and leading with value. And to me, that, that, that is what got me into the space, the grit, just getting it, getting the work done and and doing it with the right people.
1: Well, one of the things that I love about what you just said, and it's, it's been a recurring theme that Denny and I have heard over and over again, is that it's really those relationships that can build your real estate investing career, really any type of career, right? Uh, and, but to build those kinds of relationships with the kind of people that you want to be in bed with, uh, you really do need to bring the value first. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I love how you approached that. So tell us what, what kind of deals are you working on now through Invest on Main Street?
3: Well, so we have over a 500 million portfolio at this point. Uh, and you ask the jobs that I'll do on deals. Sometimes I'm I'm helping to find the deal, uh, raise capital for the deal now. Which we now have an educational platform that helps to educate investors on alternative assets. And if you look at my passive investor guide on my website, which is a free download, it talks about the middle class, the well, the high income earners and the ultra wealthy having seven percent in the middle class in alternative assets. 25% for the high-income earners and ultra-wealthy is 50%. So they, the problem is, is, nobody has any idea what alternative investments are. They're only educated in their 401ks, SDIRAs, or their financial planner, which all puts them in one investment in the stock market. All similar correlated assets that rise and fall together. Maybe they've graduated to real estate. But then they're just in a bunch of different kinds of real estate some safer some not so safe right but then you can lose it all there too mm-hmm. i did it i think my assets now will survive another 2008 right now that's the whole reason i'm doing the workforce housing that i'm doing but it's important to be in other non-correlated investments ones that right. so you you not necessarily the search for the lowest risk deal but the lowest risk portfolio having diversification across those asset classes and So Invest on Main Street is really working on building out those non-correlated or investments that give you options to invest for tax advantages, recession resilience, cash flow and appreciation so you can accelerate your retirement and watch your your legacy grow through retirement. And uh, and so that is both by multifamily apartment communities, as we've discussed. We have uh, diversified oil and gas investments, which provide even better tax advantages than real estate. In fact, 75% of your investment for most of our investors comes directly off their W-2 income. So their, their taxable income directly lowers. Even if in real estate, it, it's got to be passive income. And this is active income. Any income, your AGI lowers. It's incredible. Plus you get the monthly passive income and appreciation in a completely different asset class where it's half oil and half gas, diversified across many states. At scale, like we have multifamily lots of units. Well, this is lots of wells. So any a fire in a unit is not going to cause the multifamily building deal to collapse. A dry hole in a well is not going to cause the economics of a of our diversified funds to collapse either. So we get those, and then we have uh, in the next quarter, we're launching a cash flow fund. And that's affordable housing, and it is a preferred equity. Uh, if I'm paying out 12 and percent immediately after investing, so it provides for a tax advantage cash flow. And I think that's probably the I'm doing that because what's needed most is cash flow right now with interest rates rising. What you see is people are searching for it. There a lot of the deals that we're cash flowing are no longer cash flowing. And next year, it's going to be even harder. And so we're we're doing a cash flow fund to help people get into that cash flow quadrant.
1: Well, I love that. Um, you know, Denny and I talk all the time about diversification and how you want to be exposed to many different assets that are not correlated, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we have money in stocks, we have money in real estate, um, uh, and you know, many different types of stocks, many different types of real estate, uh, and some alternative assets as well, you know, real estate. Um, so with invest on main street, do you allow non-accredited investors to participate or is it only accredited investors? can invest with
3: you. Yeah. So what's unfortunate about that whole thing is I wouldn't be able to tell you about my investments if I allowed non-accredited investors. And so kind of like the chicken before the egg thing, how can I make a difference in increasing the financial IQ of America uh, if I am allowing non-accredited investors, which doesn't allow me to talk about my investments openly? So how can I get out there and say, hey, there's all these alternatives for everybody to invest? Um, Unfortunately, the SEC, if you do that, says you have to only work with accredited investors. So I have always ever been, call it a Reg D 506C offering, which was accredited investors only. I have friends that do Reg D 506B, which allows for non-accredited investors. And so while I don't, I'm happy to speak to you if you're not accredited, um, if you don't make the income or net worth, I would like to help you along your journey not necessarily through my company. It could pass you along to other investors that have friends and family type filings if you create a relationship with them and then on their next deal, you can potentially invest. I don't get anything out of it, but I want to make sure that I'm hoping at this point to grow that financial IQ, get people started on their journey. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, because I'm here talking about it, then you're, you, you know that I can't allow non-accredited investors in my deals.
1: So you also talked about tax advantages uh, when we were talking about <clears throat> some of the investments that you pursue uh, through invest on main street and by the way uh, we included a link to that in the comments for anyone who's following along in the audience um, and you know in your in your your pre-interview notes that we were uh passing back and forth you know you mentioned that uh you mentioned some uh tax advantaged ways to invest in real estate as being a specialty of yours so talk to us for a minute about self-directed IRAs and any other kind of advanced uh, tax strategies that you can recommend to real estate investors to help them, uh, you know, make the most of their tax advantages.
3: Sure. Yeah. So I actually have some articles in Forbes, I mean, Patrick Grimes Forbes on 1031 exchanges or Patrick Grimes Forbes on uh, investing with your self-directed qualified plans that kind of outline some of these, I write for Forbes, uh, these strategies. Um, but, uh, the, in our, I don't do a lot of that sort of more, uh, very creative, you, infinity banking and all that. I'm more just kind of down the straight and narrow. Uh, here's the old school tried and true paths. Um, those are qualified plants. Like if you have a past employer 401 K and you're, you're sitting on it in the stock market and your wealth is there, well, we can help you roll that over into a self-directed variant or a piece of it into a self-directed variant of that same plan, which allows you to directly invest into our deals. Same thing with IRAs, so Roth IRAs. Those all can be rolled over into plans. That allows you the ability to continue to grow. And then when we sell the property, you don't get hit with capital gains. You can reinvest the entire amount into the next deal. It's a pretty powerful way to very quickly diversify what's traditionally in stock markets. And the reason why only 7% of the middle class are in alternative assets is because they think their retirement plans are trapped in there. Uh, 1031 exchanges is, I mean, it's incredible. It's probably the most powerful wealth building tool available to Americans. And I think what happens is people get to the point where they've graduated to an IRA, maybe 401k IRA, maybe a stock portfolio, their day trading, maybe a financial planner. And then they're kind of like, oh, now I can do real estate. I, I can buy a rental property, right? They're like me. I was there and I was buying <laughs> it. and I was signing on the loans myself and I was struggling to moonlight it, trade all the time away from my hobbies. I didn't realize the risks I was taking. Talked about asset protection a little bit and, and I lost it all. Well, because I was trying to be active, I wasn't doing it with experience. I wasn't doing it in the right ways and I wasn't doing it efficiently. Um, and so I had just these rentals trading those up to larger apartment buildings is where I was able to get a return on my equity, which is consistent. I was able to get on-site property management, lower risk deals and better markets, bringing on partners to work with. And so you can do the same with your rentals. You, a lot of our investors have, they're dealing with landlords, tenants, toilets, trash, and you know, that whole thing. And, and they'll call me up and say, hey, Patrick, look, I got to get out of this. And I have investonmainstreet.com 1031. I have a whole guide on how we help people take their rental properties, trade it in with a qualified intermediary, and then they can invest without paying capital gains directly as a partner into our large multifamily deals and next year also into our oil and gas portfolios and immediately start that uh, cash flow and appreciation as they have a whole team of people with decades of experience now fully managing it. I mean, they have no job. I mean, we have regional and area managers. What are you going to do, right? You can get back, enjoy your golden years and a safer asset and a safer investment that will continue to keep the velocity of your capital high through 1031 exchanges. And so that's something that I always recommend. Well, that's, so that's interesting.
1: That's something that we don't hear people talk that much about is Mm -hmm. selling off your direct property portfolio, your rental property portfolio, and then Mm -hmm. rolling those proceeds into real estate syndications through a 1031 exchange. Uh, Yeah, we're getting into, you know, some more advanced tactics here. Um, But I'm I'm glad to hear you talk about uh, how that's, you know, both possible and profitable um, because again, yeah, it's not something that people talk about very often. So um, you also, I understand that you have some expertise on asset protection for real estate investors. Uh, Do you have any, and I know that's a whole (laughs) complicated conversation Mm -hmm. in itself, Uh, but if you were to share one or two of your best asset protection tips for real estate investors, what would they be?
3: Yeah, well, wait. you're talking to somebody who's lost it all one time, so yeah. <laughs> already was. doesn't want to do it again. I wish I had a better reason for why I've learned a little bit about asset protection, other than I've been lost it all and, and learned the hard way, right? But um I'll, if we go back to the single family um investor uh question, and if you type in In uh, Forbes, Patrick Grimes, Asset Protection, I've got got articles where I map out um, the thought processes behind the mindset of sort of the single family owner versus an investment portfolio uh, in larger commercial assets and syndications, right? Where you're a limited partner. Um, When you buy a single family home, for example, you're signing on it in your own name most of the time. And yeah, if you're and the getting favorable, the loan. if yeah. you're getting favorable debt, right, loan, then you're signing on your own name and you're signing on the loan because they're looking for your credit because the building doesn't cash flow. It's not a low enough risk investment for the bank to say, no, we'll just take the building, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, our larger apartment buildings are above 80 units. We have no problem. They'll just, they'll sign on the, the colla- they'll take the building for collateral, not me personally. That's what happened to me. They came after me. And so what people know, what the, the gurus are not telling you is that as you grow your single family portfolio and get one or two or three or four, you're growing a couple things. Exposure, right? Uh, not only is it pulling your hair out, it's going to be more challenging because you're trying to self-manage, find deals that you don't have time to find and do things you don't have experience doing and pro- perhaps not nearby you and not the best markets to do it in, right? But uh, the more that you sign on loans yourself, you're searchable. And I was one of those guys that would run searches to find who owned properties and for how long, and we could calculate what your equity position was through that. And then we could make an offer that we knew would pay off your debt because we did the calculus, right? Well, if you, if some people are out there and it happens all the time, they're trying to sum up your net worth and figure out if you're worth suing. If you if somebody mm-hmm. trips and falls, they call the wrong attorney. And the attorney's like, "Well, let me run a search. I'll see if I'll do this pro bono, right?" And so that asset ex, that exposure because you're cross collateralized like I was, meaning that they can they're they're everything you own and all the properties are all in one basket, right? You can try and put them in an LLC to prevent liability, but then the bank finds out and then call your loan due. It's bad. It's a bad situation, you're just playing games. And um, the reality is you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to take the time to do it. You don't have to take the risk to do it. You don't have to sign on loans. You have to put things in your own name and you don't have to make it searchable. If you invest, for example, with me into a syndication, you're a limited partner, which means you're protected. You're not putting any more out than the capital you have in the deal. Meanwhile, we usually get your capital back in two to three years because we do a value play. We get in, we renovate quickly, and we refi out your capital. So you're even in there for a limited amount of time, but you're in an LLC, and an LLC that the bank knows about. You're not sneaking around them to try and do it like people do in single family. And in that LLC, the bank is a loan that you're not signing on either. So you don't have that legal exposure where somebody trips and falls and they sue you. You don't have that financial exposure where maybe the billing has a challenging day and the bank's not going to come after you or everything else you own and your other investments. Each of these uh, investments are in their own islands. They're in the separate entities. Now, that means they're protected from each other. They're not cross-collateralized you're protected from them if somebody trips and falls or the bank comes due you're fine but if you put them all into entities like i do like Wyoming, i use wyoming wyoming nevada or delaware if you hold all these assets in one entity like that then they're protected from you now what does that mean well that means say you go you have a bad day you drive and get in an accident and it's fatal or, you know, you, you you do something and you're guilty of it, right? And some attorney, frivolous or not, comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to sue you. And uh, maybe you have insurance. Maybe they've exceeded that insurance. But then the judge says, now we have a judgment against you. List all your assets. And that's how it plays out, right? Now, that first of all that attorney before they even decided to sue you they can't find any of these private placements any of these passive investments because they're not registered anywhere so first of all you're they're not going to add that to the pot of gold that they're seeking because they don't know about it right it's not searchable secondly say they do and then they're going to come to the table and be like well shoot they listed all these things that are in a wyoming dollar and that we can't access them because those states provide asset protection they prevent us from forcing that person to sell which means that he just may sit on it forever and we're not going to have a quick win this person so that part of his net worth we're just going to throw out so it limits your exposure and the not only the likelihood somebody would sue you or even find assets that you own but it prevents them from being able to force you to sell those assets which gives you incredible asset protection
1: yeah, and that's, that's something that Denny and I don't talk about a ton is uh, how much better you're positioned as a, a limited partner, a passive investor in real estate syndications compared to uh, being a direct property owner. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have no liability whatsoever as a uh, mm-hmm. as a limited partner, uh, whatever you've invested, that's the most that you can lose. <laughs> uh, so uh, now, I want to be respectful of your time here. We do have a listener question that I wanted to squeeze in before we wrap up. Max Murphy asks, can you go into what makes oil and gas tax advantages better than real estate tax advantages? Um, so, you know, can you give us the, the lightning overview of uh, oil and gas tax advantages compared to real estate tax advantages?
3: Right. Well, if you're investing in direct... Uh, oil and gas or food or housing, because the government's relying on us to feed, energize and house America, unlike in countries like China, where those are all government institutions, they're going to incentivize you. But the IRS specifically pointed at domestic production of natural gas and oil and okay. said, we're going to put a spe- we're specific allocations for tax advantages to people that do that because we need to increase the domestic production of natural gas and oil. So they're saying the investment that you make as an individual, if you invest as an individual, that income, or sorry, that that income you use to then invest, right, you made some money, now you're going to invest it, but you're gonna invest it where we want you to put it. So we're not gonna tax you on most of that. What, what does that mean? Well, for example, in my investment that's open today, if you go immediately to my website, Invest on Main Street. You log in and, and invest a hundred grand into our diversified energy portfolio. We're going to pass to you between a 75 and 85 percent of your investment. So on a hundred grand, maybe a 75 to 80 grand, uh, 85 grand intangible drilling cost loss. So we're going to provide a K1 a partnership return that says you lost on paper 75 to 85 grand. Now, but. You have you're all in at a hundred still. You haven't lost anything. It's a paper loss. Now that different than real estate. That actually flows through to offset your ordinary income. In real estate, (laughs) that can only be used for passive income. And and, in oil and gas, your adjusted gross income or your ordinary income, your W two, your K ones, your bonuses, all that stuff. So if you if you make four hundred grand a year and you invest a hundred thousand into our deal. We're going to take your $400,000 tax uh, position. We're going to reduce it to at minimum three twenty five, dollars And now you're only taxed on three twenty five. dollars Most of our investors, does that put you in a new tax bracket as you get down? Most of our investors realize about a 30% return on their investment just from the year one tax advantage. If you invest right now before the end of the year, we're going to pass through that tax advantage when you file your taxes. You're not going to have to pay that. Immediately right off the bat, you're like almost a 30% return. Then <laughs> we're going to pass through 10 to 20% cash flow, which is not taxed. Then we're going to do a return of capital. We're projecting, these are all projections, of course, in the third year. And then a 3X equity multiple in three to five years that we can 1031 exchange forward, like real estate. So the, the aggregations are all there. The same kind of returns are all there. But with oil and gas, it comes off your ordinary income.
1: But now if you don't exchange, you know, when, when you do um, sell off those assets in three to five years, um, I mean, do you have to, if, and if you don't do a 1031 exchange on that with oil and gas investments, do you have to uh, repay those paper losses similar to like depreciation recapture for real estate?
3: Yeah. So there's a couple ways to address that. Um, like, So for example, if we go with the scenario where you invest hundred grand, which is our minimum, uh, and you save 30 grand. OK, in your taxes, that would be if we pass through a 75 percent paper loss and you're in your 40 percent tax bracket, you'd save about 30 grand on 100 grand roughly. OK, so you're kind of all in at 70 grand after taxes, but you got 100 grand invested. Right Now you're collecting 10 to 20 or projecting 10 to 20 percent monthly passive or yearly income on 100 grand, but you're all in at 70. Then you get a 3x equity multiple on 100 grand, but you're all in at 70. Right. At the end of the investment, that 30 grand of Uncle Sam's that you've had invested this entire time, you've seen cash flow from it and you've seen an equity multiple on it. But at the end, if you cash out, they're going to say, "Ah, can you give me that 30 grand back? Right. You're not investing it anymore. We gave it to you while you had it invested. But well, well, but if you want to reinvest it and then then you can keep it. But we, we but you let you have it long enough to make a return on it. But now we want that 30 grand unless you 1031 it forward into a like kind. That is also a tax incentive that then you keep investing it in the way we want. We'll let you we'll let that ride. Does that make sense? Huge sure. win. So,
1: yeah. So you keep earning the cash flow on it, but you don't have to uh, repay back Uncle Sam any of those tax advantages uh, mm-hmm. that you received while you're on it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, I love what you guys are doing over at
3: InvestOnMainStreets.com. And uh, can I, can I offer my soon. book? Can I offer my book please, to your list? Please, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so persistence, pivots, and game changers, turning challenges into opportunities. Okay. I'm, I'm here, and I got here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before the, my wife did the COVID cut, the final COVID cut, right? That. Uh, and so I tell my whole story in here. I've got truckloads of them. We give it away for free. It did make an Amazon number one bestseller. Way cooler people than an engineering nerd on here. There's like Phil Collins, lead guitarist of the Def Leopard, uh, Russell Gay for real estate guys, NFL, NBA players, uh, athletes. Really cool book. Lots of great stories, turning challenges into opportunities, persistence, pivots, and game changers. Invest on book uh, invest on book. And we have a form you can fill out. Uh, I do sign them. We have somebody that sends them out to you and be happy to offer a free, but I just need you to come up with a promo code and make sure they type in that promo code. So we know who you are, um, where you came from and that you're not somebody random. <laughs> and then we'll get this off to you. And if anybody else wants to chat, you know, I'd be happy to have that invest on contact. And I'll hopefully get you pointed in the right direction.
2: Thank you awesome. very much. Um, I, I, learned a ton.
3: I need your promo code. They need your promo code. So you have to come up with a promo code right now. <laughs> spark.
2: Put us on the spot.
1: <laughs> spark. That's an easy one spark. to remember. And spark. we put, we did put spark. a link in the comments here, investor, invest mainstream.com slash book. Uh, so it's easy to click on, uh, right. promo code spark.
3: Sure is.
1: Just keep it easy. And, yep. um, yeah, so everyone take advantage of that offer for the uh, a free copy of Patrick's book. Patrick, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we can't yes. wait to uh, have you back on sometime soon and, and hear about uh, what you get into in 2023 and beyond. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank All you. Right. And you everybody have week. a great Tuesday, yes. And, and happy, happy new, new year.
3: year. <laughs> yes. Happy new year to everybody. bye All Bye-bye. right.
1: Talk to you guys soon.
0: Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.